Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. The new retirement bill is finally here to protect you from you. It's to protect you from you. And by the way, the Democrats and Republicans, both sides are fighting over it. And they're both lying. They're both lying. So what's it really all about? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the madness that is IRA distribution rules. And in fact, we're not going to talk about it. Actually, if you've got some, if you've got some questions, just call me because they're very, very confusing, especially if it's an inherited or beneficiary IRA. Is the stretch IRA gone? Or can you still do it in some situations? The answer might surprise you. But if you need to take a mandatory IRA distributions or you're just trying to figure it out in retirement or especially if you have an inherited IRA and you got questions, call me. Eight things to consider before uh, taking Social Security. Uh, We're not going to stop the show on that. I'll just tell you it depends on your age, your timing, your income level, or whether you're married or not, your other assets. But if you got a question on that, Call me. We've got an expert that all she does is Social Security. That's all she does. She's a consultant. Now, but before I start, I want to welcome everybody to our new digs. This is the very first Your Money Radio podcast in our new oh show. Yeah, we're there. We go. There we go. <laughs> anyway, um, and so. And so we got the new office. There's still stuff stacked everywhere uh, and, and, and getting everything ready. So you're going to have to bear with us for a, for a little bit. So please uh, be patient. Uh, but anyway, um, we have moved to our new office and we'll be sending out uh, our new address to everybody. Um, but let's start talking about the show because I'm sure you don't want to hear about the new office. So I was talking about this new retirement bill to protect you from you. And I said both sides are lying. Why is that? Well, Republicans are pushing back. So this whole bill is about theme investing, about disclosures for theme investing, like environmentally, uh, uh, what's it called? ESG, environmental, sustainable, government, whatever. It's basically green investing. Or if it's a growth investing or internet, they want to make sure that these theme investments are, 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 Fully disclosed so that you understand the rules. And really, the Republicans are saying, well, ESG, you really don't need that environmental stuff and the returns aren't that good. It doesn't help the investor. And Democrats are saying, no, no, no. Green investments are very, very fruitful and they make lots of money. So what's the truth? The truth is they're lying to you. Neither one of them care. Because what it's really about 
It's about the Vanderbilts, or I mean the Vanguards, and the Fidelities, and the Rockefellers, T. Rowe Price, New York Life, J.J. Snuffington. That's a throwback from the old show. That is the traditional advisor brotherhood. You see, the real thing about this bill is that they also want to put in warnings for self-directed brokerage options on I-401Ks. See, more and more 401Ks are offering the option to, instead of doing the 12 pre-selected mutual funds that they give to you because they know what's best for you, you can actually, if your plan allows it, and it's becoming more popular, more and more plans are allowing it, and more and more employees are demanding it, they're asking it for it from their employers. Well, now that's puffed up the traditional advisor brotherhood because did you know that 80% of all 401k assets are held by five mutual fund families, the big boys, T. Rowe Price, Fidelity, and let's not forget the Dodge and Cox balance fund. That's another favorite. But there's really just a handful of funds that are in all the 401ks. Well, if you do a self-directed brokerage option, which means you can sign a little release and say, uh, thank you for selecting these 12 mutual funds that you think are best for me, but I personally would like to invest in Apple or Tesla or a T-bill or anything I choose rather than you selecting it for me. They don't like that. They said, we don't want you to do so. We're going to at least do a bill to give you four layers of warnings. So at first, it's a, a, like against medical advice, against investment advice. We don't think you should do this. Then another warning. Well, are you sure you want to do this? Because you, you, you may not know what you're doing. And these are pre-selected by our fiduciary selection committee. So let's talk about that. How are they a fiduciary? If they're pre-selecting these, I mean, hopefully they're selecting the best of the best funds, but you got to vet that because they actually have conflicts of interest. And, and, and I'll tell you a little story very quickly. So the, 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 the place that I live, the school district, they were raising money for bonds and a neighbor asked me to come at, look at it and, you know, ask questions and stuff. And in the state of Texas, they really got like three big players that underwrite bonds. And they're actually all in bed together. They take turns. One of them will be represent the school as the school's consultant. So they're not trying to sell the bonds to the school. They're just saying, yes, this is a good deal. They're approving it. And they're acting as the school's fiduciary because the school pays them directly. Then the other one will actually sell the bonds to the school, raise the money and do the underwriting. But then the next school district, they just flip-flop and they trade, and the other one sells the bonds, and the first one becomes the fiduciary consultant. So they just take turns. Well, here's what they're doing with these, in my opinion, these 401k, this new bill. So are these fiduciary advisors really the fiduciary advisors, or are they trying to herd you into these assets, these, these funds that are controlled by the big boys? That's a good question. But the question, here's a bigger question. Do you want it simple or do you want it easy? Because we're going to talk about that. That's going to be the theme of this whole show. Okay. Do you want to be able to make your own investment decisions for your 401k so that you can pick a Tesla or an Apple or a Microsoft or, 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 or even bonds? Or do you want to just have their 12 selected things? By the way, if you choose self-directed brokerage, you could still buy those 12 pre-selected funds anyway. But now you just opened up the uh, uh, choices to maybe four or 5,000 other choices. 
So here is the question, and Ted and I were having a conversation about this the other day because he was, you know, he's doing a lot of studying and learning, as is Mike and Connor. And is, do people want it simple and easy, a set it and forget it? Or do they want active management? So I just was kind of making the list before the show. I was just looking around. So if you buy and hold, what are the pros and cons? Well, number one, it's somewhat random. You're at the mercy of the market's time horizon. You're vulnerable to sequence of returns, which means studies show that if you just buy and hold, the quality of your retirement is simply a function of the three years in and at retirement, whether you're in a good market or whether it's just right after the tech wreck or the economic crisis and you have half your money. So when you retire will determine whether you have half your money or the whole, or the whole basket. Why is that? Because when they tell you that story about you saving $1,000 a month from the time you're 25 to the time you're 65, you compound 8% of return, you got a pot of gold, a million dollars, and the gold watch at retirement, right? But here's the problem. What they don't tell you is that 8% compounding, all the compounding occurs in the last three or four years. Because 8% on $10,000 is 800 bucks, big deal. 8% on $100,000 is $8,000, and 8% on a million is 80000 Therefore, all the growth really occurs in the last four, four or five years of retirement. So if you go into a bear market two years before you retire, you retire with half your money. So I think it's a good idea to have a sell discipline anytime, but it's more, even more important the closer you get to retirement. So with the buy and hold, you're going to have to deal with 30, 35, even 40% drawdowns occasionally, but you'll deal with 25 to 35% drawdowns about every three to four, four to five years. You can go back and look. Those are the stats. Okay, now, with active management, you have less drawdown. If it's done right, you have much less drawdowns. You're not going to occur 25, 30, 35% drawdowns. Now, the problem is, it, 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 you possibly could pay higher taxes and there is more trading and it's more difficult to in, implement. It takes work. It's not easy and it's not simple. The pie chart, simple, set it and forget it. It's simple to you, but you know the mutual funds actually trade behind that curtain. There's activity there. You just don't know it. But here's the secret of mutual funds. They have to be almost fully invested at all times. They can leave 5 or 10% cash for net redemptions to give people money back when they want to take their money out. But a tech fund has to be invested in tech stocks even if he thinks tech stocks are too high. So early in my career, 1999, I'm interviewing Art Bonell of the Bonell Growth Fund. And at the commercial break, he leads, and he's a darling of Wall Street. He has like the best growth fund in the 90s. Leans over to me and says, Danny, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just got $30 million of new money in the last three weeks. I said, Art, sounds like a good problem to have. He said, you don't understand. I got to go buy tech stocks at these valuations. And so I realized, young, I was, man, this guy just admitted to me that he thinks tech stocks are way too high. It's not a buy time. And he's selling in his own account, but he's got to buy for, for his account. So even with mutual funds, it's your job to know to sell the fund. The fund manager is managing to the prospectus of the fund. The prospectus is the fund is the client, not you. You're the cattle. He's the roper. He's delivering you to market. Okay? So... 
That's really what it's about. At Revere, we feel like we'd rather have more activity, sell rules, and limit drawdowns because we'll hit some time frames in the market when you hit a big growth spurt that you can make good money, lots of good money pretty easily. But when the market gets really hard and choppy, that fear, you don't have to worry about the drawdown. Here's the other thing. People that say they're buy and hold, They'll hit their pain threshold. Everybody has their pain threshold. So even if he tells me he's super aggressive, he may hit 25, 30% drawdown, and he'll finally say uncle. That's another reason I don't like those risk measures because they're static. So rather than measuring the risk of the client, we think the risk of the market, the sector, the stock itself is more important. So anyway, that was a mouthful. I know that was a lot. By the way, all of these things are in the show notes. So I put that rule up on the madness that is IRA distribution rules. I put up the thing, the, the eight things you consider for Social Security. But I know that the markets, you know, the markets were acting really well about three months ago, too. And we said the train's leaving the stakes. Are you on board? Then it got kind of tough. Then last week, it started to look like it's firming up. This past week, it, we just had a sell-off. So what is the reason? Is it the Fed, jobs, inflation, earnings, dollar strength? Or does it really matter? Is it more important how you responded as the market was changing? So that's, that's really uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, so Don, with that set up, I want to go, oh, by the way, one more thing. There's two other articles I threw in this morning because I found them last week on the show. Don, Don and I were talking about the T-bill yields because T-bills are paying over 5%. It's crowding out investment-grade corporate bonds and, 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 and even muni bonds now. Municipal bonds are, are having trouble raising money because even if the muni bonds 4% or 3%, Tax-free, if you're getting five and a half with taxable, the, the after-tax equivalent yield is better with T-bills. So T-bills now are causing municipalities to either pay more or not be able to get the funding, not be able to issue the bonds because it's too high of an interest rate. Same thing with corporate. So we've got a lot of undercurrents. And so now we're going to talk about what is going on with the markets and how what we've done. So Don, with that, uh, take it away. Sure, Dan. <clears throat> sure, Dan. Thanks. So, uh, when we did this uh, last week, we did the podcast a day early. We did it on a Thursday, and we were talking about on Thursday how the positive reaction of the market to CPI and PPI uh, was resulting in a breakout from this consolidation that we were having, and things looked pretty good. Let me go to a thirty-minute chart on this. Uh, and you can see this is the breakout. If I redraw the levels here, here was the downtrend line. And we we're feeling pretty good by the end of the day on Thursday. Then uh, Friday was op options expiration and there was really no explanation other than interest rates were going higher. Uh, we ignored interest rates going higher that Thursday while we were running up, but we opened up to a gap down and the worst case scenario of a gap down is when you continue trending down throughout the day and close at the lows. And that's what we saw last Friday. So that effectively canceled the successful breakout from this triangle last Thursday. The title of the Friday Big Show video was From Failed Moves Come Fast Moves. 
in the opposite direction. And that is, that's an old Wall Street axiom. And boy, did I not even understand how fast we were going to move in the opposite direction. So yeah, we failed the breakout uh, on Friday. Monday, a consolidation day. Everybody was looking forward to what the Fed was going to do on uh, Wednesday. Okay, so Monday, tight consolidation. Tuesday, we did some selling off early in the day, had a strong finish into the close and then gapped up. And um, Jay Powell came on at two o'clock, uh, two o'clock Wednesday Eastern time with the statement and then the press conference. Uh, and then everything was extremely hawkish, what they were saying, and the market did not react kindly to it. So there was a big sell-off late in the day on Wednesday, followed through to a gap down and a close at the low on Thursday, another uh, worst case scenario for the bulls. And the bottom line is it completely destroyed this consolidation uh, that we were building since we had the O'Neill follow through day on 829. So step back to 829, we're coming off the lows, follow through day, good action over the next couple of days, normal pullback, test the bottom of the range, bounce, uh, break out from uh, this triangle that we're in, failed breakout, uh, Jay Powell comes on and is extremely hawkish talking about another interest rate raise next year and the market had been pricing in, or by the end of the year, and then the market had been pricing in uh, four rate cuts next year. The Fed came out and said they're forecasting two. And where we are right now is after breaking down, uh, during this breakdown, this uh, on Wednesday afternoon and Thursday, we started, uh, our position started hitting stops. And by the end of the day, Thursday, we were out of everything except the, the NVIDIA position that we had large gains in going back to uh, the middle of March. So what we're seeing this morning now is a bounce, but uh, this bounce is not convincing. It's on extremely light volume. And the level that we're watching right now is the high of the Thursday gap down day because that's right at the 100 day moving average. When we break the 50 day moving average, we have a, a, a target exposure that we have for the market. When we break the 100 day moving average, we have another target. The next level down is the 150 day and then of course the 200 day. So if you're looking on the bright side of things, uh, no bear market occurs until we break below the 200 day moving average historically. That's just a, a mathematical fact. The typical uh, breakdown from the high of a market till you break the 200 day moving average is approximately 11 to 12%. Uh, that's a normal drawdown. What we've seen in the market and in our client portfolios right now is about a 5% pullback from the highs and from the 200 day moving average, we are uh, now approximately 3.7%. So the exposure that we're holding on to besides NVIDIA is our position in the S&P 500, which we play via SSO, that's an ETF that gives you two times returns of the S&P 500. And we're willing to sit on this where we are right now, unless we break the 150 day and then the 200 day moving average. So our downside right now, uh, since we're, um, hold on one second. Our drawdown right now is maximum is about approximately 2% uh, until we, a little over 2%, between two and two and a half percent until we break the lows, uh, until we break the 200 day moving average. Uh, all out of stocks. Uh, what we're monitoring now is uh, a consolidation 
with relative strength in leading stocks. I, I talked about this in detail uh, in Thursday night's video, but really what we're looking for is uh, something like this consolidation right here. This is what the NASDAQ 100 was doing while it was pulling back and the market was correcting uh, in, uh, in uh, February and March of this year. The price was pulling back, but the relative strength line was just going sideways. And this is what leading stocks will do. They won't pull back. They'll resist the pullback on a relative basis. And then when the market writes itself, it could be in Q4. It could be early next year. It could be next week for all I know. We don't predict. But what we're looking for is when the correction ends, what stocks have held up the best and uh, what sectors are they in? Are they forming sound bases? Are they liquid enough? Do they have leadership characteristics? And that's where our money will go. But right now, uh, we've limited our exposure to uh, the equivalent of 60% in the S&P 500 and um, no individual positions except for the NVIDIA. And we're, we're gonna be patient and prudent while we wait for these setups to occur and the market to stop going down because it's a clear recognition that with the reaction that the market uh, the, the winds are in our face right now, not at our backs. And that's not the, that's not the market to be fully and heavily invested in. Uh, it's just a recipe for losing money. And that's what we specialize here in Revere is recognizing the difference between a healthy market. And this was a healthy market. The uptrend that we had uh, from March, April, after we broke out until we topped uh, at the end of July, then we start correcting. But during this correction, uh, we broke below several key areas. That turns from the market being at our back and a normal correction uh, to something that potentially could be more severe uh, with the knowledge that it won't get really severe unless we break below this black line here. That's the 200-day moving average. Okay, so let me jump in and let me put my Don Turpin on and clean up, or not clean up, but just just highlight a couple of points that he made. When he said that, you know, we've gotten a little bit more defensive because we broke the 50-day, and then he was talking about the 100-day, 150, 200-day. What he's saying, folks, is as we break those different levels, he's going to take a little bit more risk off. He's going to raise a little bit more cash and or hedge so that we reduce the beta because you don't want to just go all in and all out because then you just get whips out all over the place and you're over trading. You want to do it in layers because you don't know whether it's going to, you know, if, it, if, if it's going straight down and you knew it, you just sell out. So as it breaks certain levels, you get more and more defensive. So once you break the 200 day, you're very defensive, but you got to give the market market a little bit of room uh, to breathe. Uh, Don, before I go forward with the rest of the market uh, update, I did want to bring up, so folks, uh, I'm sorry, but due to the move this week, I was quite busy. I was, you know, taking all my computer and electronics over there and bringing it all over here and getting it set up. So I was out of pocket for a couple days. So I didn't get a lot of the mail, but we got a couple of mailbag questions, but I didn't get to get them all. I got one early Monday that I'm just going to throw in here from CC and the subject was oil. It says, are you going to invest in some oil, going to invest some funds in oil? It is going to a hundred uh, BB barrels. My two cents. Me. Thanks, CC. We have been in NRGU, the three times oil ETF until today. Again, this was 
uh, Tuesday, September 19th. It outperforms the commodity itself. If we get the same setup again, we will take it, meaning we will re-enter that same position. So that's the one I had in the mailbag before I started the move, so I wasn't able to backfill the rest. But listen, if you got a question or comment, you can just send me an email, dan at revereasset.com, or you can go to Revere Asset and go up to the contact button, and it'll send an email directly to me. And you can just say, hey, uh, what do you think about this stock? Or we'd like, can you talk about this on the air? Or you just want a complimentary portfolio review. But anyway, Don, can you... Uh, uh, Talk about the NRGU. Sure. Uh, back at the end of June and early in July, we were, as part of our normal sector review that we do uh, every weekend, uh, one of the weakest sectors at that point was oil. And there are a couple of ETFs that we use to monitor, monitor that. The, the broadest one uh, that we like is the Vanguard Energy ETF. And here's a line going back to the beginning of uh, the end of, uh, sorry, the end of June, the beginning of July. But what we noticed right as this was coming out of this downtrend line, this uh, uh, in this ETF, at the same time, there were two stocks that were looking exceptionally good. Weatherford, now bear in mind that prior um, picture that I just showed, and then look where Weatherford is relative to its pattern and look where TDW is relative to its pattern. So these are uh, two leading stocks. These were actually coming out of bases right at the time uh, that we were that oil was just starting to come off the lows. Uh, so we identified these were added to the 21 over 21 list. Uh, one was added the last week in June, one was added the first week in July. Uh, but it's very clear that they were the leaders. Note the relative strength line on them and go back to the ETF again and you can see how much better they look. This is, a, this is one of the uh, key differences that we wanna point out. We wanna identify uh, sectors, not, we don't wanna wait until they're in their top 20%. Uh, we wanna see the ones that are uh, in the bottom 20 that are moving into the middle, the middle 50% because when that's happening on a sector-wide basis, there's gonna be some leading stocks uh, within that sector. So let's, uh, and as far as those stocks go, we didn't buy TDW or, or um, Weatherford, but uh, we, in some of the research on, uh, it's not easy. Let's set the date here to uh, 6.30. This is about the time that uh, we were breaking out. So 6.30, uh, Here's VDE to today. It was up 11.48%. Let's take a look at those two stocks that we identify. There's Weatherford. It was up 36%. Uh, there's TDW. Uh, it was up 20%. Uh, let's look at what did oil do at the same time if you wanted to buy oil. That was up 26%. Pretty good. Now let's bring in NRGU, our preferred way to play it. It was up 43%. So if you go broad, NRGU is a triple leveraged ETF made up of uh, 10 of the leading oil names. It's got Exxon, Exxon Chevron, Valero, uh, Marathon. Uh, and if you go with this, you eliminate individual stock risk, like say they would, um, I could have picked TDW, but I could almost doubled it by going with NRGU. If I picked Weatherford, uh, I might have been lucky enough to get with that one, but it was still outperformed by NRGU. And if we just went with oil, there's two things. First of all, this oil fund underperforms 
the what crude does because of contango that has to do with uh, the rolling of futures contracts uh, so although it was up 26% NRGU uh, was up 43% the normal VDE single weighted ETF was up about 12% let's look at some other popular ones XLE up 10% this is mostly Chevron and Exxon uh, OIH this is oil services was up 19% and XOP this is oil producers was up 11% so NRGU is our preferred way of playing it uh, it got extremely extended last week and we took profits uh, in that when did we wrap that up we wrapped it up on Tuesday of this week uh, and uh, part of it was also wrapped up last week and we're still fond of oil uh, but it's pulling back. It's pulling back hard. We want to, it got between three and four extended, and that's just uh, ridiculous. You can see how it's been pulling back lately. Uh, how far it will pull back, we don't know, but we're sitting pretty because we got out of it uh, at four, uh, 548 and 515. So now it's just a matter of it setting up again to get back in because oil across the board is pulling back, including all the oil stocks. So uh, yeah, oil looks good. It's looked great, but it had a big run and it was extended. Uh, in this type of market, we always take uh, we always take profits when things just get too extended to the upside. Uh, and a, a good instance of that is what was happening with oil uh, over the last up uh, and into what happened late last week and early this week when it looks like it's starting to form a base instead of continuing higher. So to to reiterate. We actually, it, oil is one of the stronger sectors right now, and we are still bullish on oil. We just thought it was a short-term pullback, and we're taking profits, right? Yep. There you go. Yep. All we'll right. look to regroup uh, right. when it sets up again. The okay. commodity is holding up, but the stocks started acting worse recently, and uh, that's because the entire market uh, is coming down. The commodity is holding up okay, uh, but uh, the, the stocks, we took our profits in them, and again, um, it was it was a good play relative to what the price of oil was doing. We're keeping an eye on it and looking for the rest of the names to set up. Okay. All right. So back to the markets, Don. Yeah. I, I, nothing really else to add except to be patient and prudent. Wait for the right setups. Uh, at a minimum, we want to see the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 get above this purple line here, which is uh, the 100-day moving average. And that's where both of those indexes failed yesterday. So back over the highs of Thursday uh, would be bullish. But then the question is, you're going to run into two very key areas, the declining 21-day moving average and the declining 50-day moving average. And the, the temptation is always to buy when you see some strength in individual names and the indexes. And it's very difficult to tell if this is just a bounce to relieve oversold conditions or if this is a real opportunity to get back in. But we take it step by step. We'll go by what our individual names doing along with what are the indexes doing. But um, it's very likely that on the first move back above the key area, we'll run into the declining 21 and fail or we'll run into the declining 50-day moving average and fail along with this big 4,400 level here. Uh, that was acting as a support resistance area, uh, which we now broke broke below on Thursday. Okay, a couple a comment and then a and a question. Okay, first of all, so if they if it holds, that is when you would look to re-enter. In other words, if it breaks, it doesn't hold, you don't re-enter. But if it holds, you may take a position. 
Yes, it's low risk here getting back above the 21 because uh, there's a big support area right around here in this 4330 down to 4300 area. But uh, we want to see a little bit of strength to get back above the 100-day the moving average, and then we'll monitor what happens when we run in uh, to the other declining moving averages because the market uh, is at its maximum health when it's trending above uh, all three of these key moving averages. That's the 21 is the green line, the 50 is the red line, and the 200 is the black line. And they're configured with the shortest above the, uh, the intermediate, which is above the longest, but we're a long way away from there. It doesn't mean we won't take uh, a couple of positions if things look extremely good, but we're really waiting for the indexes to lead the way uh, and give us some positive feedback. And then we'll go to the individual stocks and sectors and see what are holding up okay. Uh, looking for something like that setup that I showed before. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't, don't, don't go anywhere. I've got one more thing to say. Uh, okay. So, okay. so sorry, because this is really important. So I like this. I like going over. By the way, I love that cursor now that you added color to it and made it bigger because now I can I can see it on the screen and follow it. I'm sure the listeners or the they're watching, they can follow it. If you can make it even bigger, that's even better. But so when he's talking about the 21 exponential moving average, folks, that green line, and then the red is the 50-day, the 21 exponential is only 21 days, and it puts more weight on the most recent day. So it's a very short-term indicator. The 50-day is a mid-term indicator. If you look at the green line, it's hooking downward. So the rate of change, so the slope of the line is the first derivative, meaning is it going up or is it going down? A negative slope means the stock's going down. You don't want that. But the if it's really going down, if it's really turning vertical up and down, that means it's really selling off hard. So that line, that green line, if it hooks down and starts really going down vertical, that means short-term momentum is dying quickly, meaning danger, Will Robinson, Right. If that green line starts to flatten out, that means you're getting a little support. It's not, it's, it's firming up. And as soon as that line starts to hook up, that can be, that means it's a lower risk entry. And that's a, meaning short-term momentum is starting to, to come in. So what Don and the guy, the team's going to do is they're going to watch those moving averages and they're going to see number one when they hold, but also when they start to hook up and when the relative strength also improves. All right, go ahead. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, a, a very good example of exactly what we're looking for uh, occurred back in February and March when we were doing the correcting. Uh, we had the prior uptrend. We started to roll over. We got back below the 21. We had uh, two days above the 21 right as the line started flattening, but then we had another down day and it rolled back over. Then we had a consolidation here uh, that flattened the line back out and then we uh, got back above it. And that's when the follow through day occurred, which is this uh, day right here on March 29th. And then we were off to the races all the way to the top at the end of July. It was uh, like a 50 trading session uh, positive bullish move. And this is the wind really being at your back when you're above the 21 with the upsloping uh, line, the upsloping green line. And then for further support, we had the 50 day going higher. Uh, and of course, we we're all above the 200 day moving average also. So we're looking for similar action to right here. Uh, and then uh, that other chart that I showed, QQQ, leadership will stand out because the relative strength line of the leadership will not be deteriorating while the price continues to correct. That means 
these are holding up in in line with what the market's doing remember growth stocks can uh, outperform two to three percent on the upside but also on the downside so the ones that are holding up uh, and then you see the relative strength increase as we come up the right side of this base and then you can see how well uh, QQQ performed also on a relative basis uh, while the S&P 500 was in its uptrend. And these are the ones that we'll be looking for to outperform the S&P. We don't just want to pick a stock that's going to be in line with the S&P. We want to do get just the best of the best that we expect to do at least two times the S&P 500. Uh, or otherwise, you can just buy SSO or buy, uh, buy SSO and uh, get two times of the S&P there. And have less risk because you have a little more diversification. Have less risk, right. We don't have single stock exactly. risk. So, so, right. so leading stocks, and this is what people don't realize, leading stocks lead on the way up and on the way down. They lead both directions. So leading stocks, uh, once you start into a bear market and you start correcting, in a bear market, leading stocks will fall on average 72%. Last year, Tesla fell 69%. So that's why they're that's why you can't buy and hold unless you really, really have a long time horizon and you really have some grit. Yeah, Celsius and Celsius is a good example of this because, uh, you know, the market uh, had a little bit of a correction here, but Celsius bucked the trend for a while. Leading stocks can. That's why we look at both the indexes and what leading stocks were doing. But then it got near this 200 area and it just couldn't go any higher every time it tried to poke its head above this 206 level. Uh, it got pulled back, and then when the market gave way on uh, on Wednesday with uh, the Fed, it just Celsius just came apart. And this was even before the Fed. And you can see these big red bars of distribution here. This is people saying, "Get me out." Hedge funds don't hesitate when momentum stops. They're uh, mutual funds and pension funds and endowments and so forth. They take a little bit of a longer time frame, but hedge funds are uh, they do not want to give their pro profits back because they don't get paid unless they keep making higher highs uh, in their uh, account balances. So uh, once it gives way, they give way. <laughs> it's like a waterfall. Uh, so 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 still. let's let's talk about how you would reenter that if because Celsius is still a leading stock. It's just broken right now. Leading stocks are all under most of them are under pressure. So right. if you still like this stock, show us how you would, what you would look for to re-enter. Oh, this is great. Yeah, we, we took a small position in this while it was basing up here, understanding that it was extended, but that, that nice day that we had last Thursday uh, gave us a little bit of um, optimism about what the market was doing. But the big thing about Celsius is its last two earnings reports, it's had uh, big gaps up. Didn't Just crushed it. a lot it. of progress. Yeah after it had the gap up, but this this last one, it was very clearly a leader. Uh, and you look at uh, a reference point is always the close on the high volume day. In other words, the day that it gapped up on earnings, it's always a reference point and the stock should get support when it pulls back around that area. You can see it happened a couple times here, pulling back to the high volume close, it definitely shouldn't undercut uh, the lows of the gap up day. So, uh, so or, 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 or if it does, you don't hold it. Correct. Okay. Uh, and then it had this, it started to slow down here up around this uh, 200 level. Now there's an O'Neill rule that says the first pullback to a 50 day moving average, usually the first two backs, two pullbacks to a 50 day moving average are normally viable. If you bought this in here and it pulled back, 
uh, around the 50 day you could have added, uh, but who's gonna be adding at the 50 day moving average when you've got earnings uh, just a couple days away. So normally this is, a, this is a pullback to the 50 day moving average, but ideally it occurs on lighter volume during a normal correction, not a harsh sell-off from 200 all the way down to 170. So we're, we still have this on our list. The uh, fundamental numbers on this are fantastic. Uh, from an earnings sales growth perspective, uh, they've made it into the mainstream. They've got a Pepsi distribution agreement. Uh, ladies are drinking it before their workouts. That's a big crossover. You usually don't see too many women walking around with a monster uh, in their hand, but uh, they definitely drink Celsius. It's taken over shelf space uh, in all the grocery it's, stores. It's, it's a, a skinny can. It, it's a skinny can. It that's, is. Why, that's why the girls like it. <laughs> it's a great, and, and it's a fat burner and yeah. it's, um, it's a pre-workout fat burner and they, they claim it's clinically proven, whatever, but um, you've got to have price action supporting the investment thesis. And as of right now, this, this is a watch. It's not a buy after, first of all, the market and correction and the two massive day sell off here. Uh, the good, what I would look for is this first, can it get back above the 50 day moving average? And second, can it get back above this high volume close? They're all between like 170 and 173 ish. So that's the first area that we would want for it to at least, first of all, it needs to stop going down. And it may just form a base like this. And if it starts coming up the right side of this, you could take an early entry if the market writes itself, like we have a follow through day, the classic O'Neill follow through day, like we had on eight, uh, 829 uh, and back on 329. This one failed, uh, but we're always on the lookout. You keep your uh, watch list updated and uh, look for that uh, pattern that I showed before with relative strength, even while prices. Uh, pulling back and those very often become the leaders when the market breaks out the next time and writes itself. But as for right now, we're in a correction. So we're pulling back. Yeah. So you bought it, but did, did you still hold it or did you sell it? I mean, I know. No, we, we yeah. cut it on this big negative reversal back below the 200 level. Okay. Uh, I talk about, we talk about all our buys and sells in the nightly video. So oh, no, no, I, uh, I know the, I just wanted the listeners. Some people do the podcast and not all of your vid. you know, there's, a lot of people watch all of our content. Some just watch the podcast and some just watch your video. So, yeah, we had a 2% position. We sold it last Friday okay. um, at 197.10. So like right about here when it broke. That so 197.10 and it's 169 now. Right. Okay. And that's one reason. That's one reason you don't necessarily want to buy and hold because you can manage risk better. So Celsius could just come back and be fine. It could. Yep. We don't know that. We're not, we don't invest could. We invest with what's happening while it's happening and make adjustments accordingly. We don't invest in the hopium. Anyway. All right. So, what all right, guys so that's, have? Uh, that's the market story. Let's go to Michael first. The man who puts the fun in fundamentals, currently studying for CFA level two. Mike, take it away. All right, so I'm sure most of our listeners know, and if they don't know by now, there's a new movie out. Um, it's called Dumb Money, and about uh, basically the the GameStop short squeeze. And I saw it last week. It was pretty good, and it's actually a relevant topic that relates to videos I've made on fundamental analysis. So I thought it was apropos to 
bring it up and and relate it to to the topics and 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 yeah so something fun and, and relatable so a lot of people don't know but michael burry actually was was the first one to really discover the opportunity in gamestop and if you listen to roaring kitty is is the guy's name who became famous for it keith gill he made over 50 million dollars from from the gamestop short squeeze and was the hero on on Wall Street bets and these these Discord and and brand channels. Um, so Michael Burry actually, and by the way, I, I really listened to his commencement speech and highly recommend that if uh, if you haven't heard it, it's it, it it's pretty interesting it, for a commencement speech. It's, it's crazy. He talks about the the future and all the negatives and societal issues and calls out the CDC and regulators. <laughs> it's pretty pretty wild. So I highly recommend it. But um, but basically, it was his 13D filings, which which are required as a as a fund or an investor. It means you own at least five percent or more of a company stock. You acquire that size position with the SEC to file something called the 13D. And there's so much wisdom and value in those letters. So I kind of wanted to go over some parts of it and relate it to, to the uh, fundamental analysis that I've been speaking about, like uh, free cash flow, capital allocation, and, and EPS. And in my opinion, the best way to learn is by analyzing those that have been successful. And Michael Burry's a legend. He's been right on a lot of stuff and he's earned, definitely earned my respect. So uh, highly recommend going over there. So to start off, um, and this is just one of the parts in the 13D that I wanted to, to talk about quickly. Um, so he says, when he's looking at GameStop, he says, we have concerns regarding capital management at GameStop, which is the capital allocation that I was talking about. The board erred in its attempt to diversify into cellular stores three years ago. So that was a, a capital expenditure growth capex opportunity, a reinvestment of capital opportunity that the board had discovered and thought it would be good for to, to allocate capital to that, but it didn't work out and it was a waste of money. So he says, now with that decision reversed through the sale of that business, we believe shareholders will agree that current resources should not be wasted. So the decision to delete is in some ways understandable and the stock definitely, it, it, it tumbled because that's part of uh, a lot of analysts and investors use the dividend discount model to forecast the future value of the company. So if you cut the dividend, all of a sudden your value, your, your valuation is going to drop a lot. And he says, but backing off from the original plan and authorization to buy back 300 million of cock would be unforgivable. So at that point, you've got the company sitting on all this cash. They're no longer investing in this cellular business that ended up failing. So they don't have a lot of growth capital expenditure opportunities. So he's saying instead of allocating to something else that's going to lose money, what you need to do, you've already authorized 300 million in common stock buybacks. You need to go ahead and buy back. And he says, because Given recent prices under $5 per share for GameStop stock, GameStop should continue with the remaining 237 million share repurchase at once with urgency. And he says, you'll never find an easier and safer opportunity to double or triple GameStop's earnings per share. 
while increasing tangible book value share by more than 100%. And the reason why you would increase earnings per share, which I spoke about in another video, you've got the numerator and the denominator. And in that case, if you're reducing, so you've got earnings, the numerator, and then number of shares is the denominator. If you're reducing that denominator by buying back those shares, your earnings per share is going to go way up. And in terms of what the company can do with that capital, the best opportunity for that shareholders is buying back these shares and, and increasing their book value, increasing earnings per share, and they'll see a, a return immediately. And what's also interesting and unique about this opportunity that we may never end, this could be a once in a generation type thing, but the amount of shares that were shorted, it was, it was something like 80% of the entire float was, was being shorted. So if GameStop were to buy back all of those shares, it would create this massive, massive short squeeze, which is what ended up happening. So what this relates to is there's a similar situation with CEIX. And that's what I was talking about with CEIX. So they're sitting on all this cash. They're generating free cash flow. They don't have a lot of uh, CapEx requirements. So their fixed costs are already predetermined. They, they have these contracts set in the future. So instead of wasting that money or sitting on the cash, they actually made the decision to return it all to shareholders, which is why you've seen this huge move in the stock because they keep buying back stock and that obviously is going to increase the valuation as you reduce the share count and increase the, the earnings per share. And an issue companies face is if they're sitting on this cash, which as we saw in the case of Michael Burr, and you can see with Bill Ackman and, and other um, activist investors, is that if a, if a company's sitting on a pile of cash and isn't doing anything with it, it, it'll become a target for an activist investor because they see that they can restructure and do a few things to get that capital unlocked and return it to shareholders. So companies try to avoid that situation by either doing aggressive buybacks, doing a dividend or investing. Oftentimes, if there's poor management and they're poor at allocating capital, they'll invest in opportunities that don't make sense, that lose money just for the sake of, of keeping their positions, keeping their, their stock, units vesting and um and, and yeah it's more a self-preservation thing rather than uh, uh looking out for the for the best interest of shareholders so um yeah just just wanted to relate it to that i thought it was really interesting and i highly recommend looking over that 13d filing and, and these letters because there's so much value in there and it can really help you out in the future when you're doing some fundamental analysis to to look at these patterns and, and commonalities well, the, re the real big thing, folks, the real takeaway, the real gold nugget is where you find all the gotchas, all the good and bad. This was a very bullish thing for GameStop, but a lot of things like Enron. There was a guy that was outing Enron for years warning about it, and he found all the stuff in the footnotes or in the regulatory filings. It's normally not in the income statement in the balance sheet. You got to find the, 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 the gotchas in the heart of the footnotes. And I'll give you a little hint. They always, because they know people are lazy, the first 10 or 12 in the footnotes are always going to be really good. The last 10, last group is going to be really good. Right in the middle, they're going to be really good. Why? 
because they know you human nature. They know that you're going to go look right at the beginning, just like, or if you want to get a book and you want to see how the book ends, you go read the ending or you go right to the middle. People cheat. So normally they bury the worst footnotes about halfway through the middle half of the book, about 30%, 35% in, into the book, or like 70% through the book, two-thirds through the book. I mean the footnotes, but that's where you find the, the big stuff. So the very first thing that you want to, and this is what Michael brought up the other day too. He was talking about how to dissect a cash flow statement and find out their uses of cash. The income statement can be manipulated. The balance sheet can be manipulated. The statement of cash flows can only be manipulated if the bank or the financial institution holding your money also agrees. So you got to have two or three people colluding. So it's much more difficult. So you always want to go to the statement of cash flows and the footnotes first and then go to the income statement balance sheet. Mike, thanks a lot. That was great. All right, done. Let's uh, flip it over to Connor. He's got an interesting topic uh, this week. Connor, go ahead and uh, tell us what you got. Yeah, so for today, um, I want to talk about group strength and uh, finding se sector style moves. So how can you find um, the leading sectors before everyone's watching? And I think one of the main drivers for the market to move higher is you need leading groups breaking out um, and, and strong group moves. So when you look back this year, the rally from May all the way into August, there was a number of different sectors and industry groups that led throughout that time. Semiconductors, were the strongest and most notable, but you had other smaller groups that had stints of strength. You know, you had home builders were another big one. Uh, cryptos had a run, airlines as well. And recently we've had energy, and I would say right now the strongest group is uranium now. Um, and I think that you can take two approaches to finding these strong group moves. First, you have the top-down approach. So that would more consist of looking at the sector ETFs um, and, and just all the various sectors and finding um, you know, what one looks the best and then having that lead you to the names. And then you can also do the bottoms up approach, which I think is better. And that's when you start seeing a proliferation of stock setups and that leads you to the certain sector. Because what I've seen is more times than not is the strongest individual stocks and leaders will be breaking out before the sector move becomes apparent. So an example from this year of a stock leading you to a sector before the sector broke out would be the uranium, which I mentioned. So when you look at the CCJ chart, if you pull it out onto a weekly time frame, this one broke out around June 2nd above that 30 level. It, it was a huge consolidation. You can clearly see that trend line and that cup and handle right there. And it popped above that 30 level and has been running um, ever since. And now when you uh, look at a chart of URA on the weekly, um, this is just a uranium ETF. Now, if you're just doing a top-down approach and you saw this, you would have missed the CCJ breakout because this one broke out roughly two months later I would classify the breakout around August and it's followed through this September. So this is, um, you know, two, three months later since uh, CCJ broke out. So that's a good example of that. Um, 
the leading stocks usually lead you to the sector that's going to be coming in favor. And you could say the same for semiconductors. NVIDIA was the clear leader. And so another example um, from what I mentioned is, is home builders. If you look at ITB on the weekly, this one was another one that broke out um, in April out of a weekly cup and handle. Um, it, it formed a really nice, well-established bottom. And yeah, where Don's pointing, that's where the breakout occurred. But if you look at a smaller home builder name, such as DFH, this one was showing RS a month earlier. It was coming out of a stage one cup and handle in March, nearly one month earlier than when um, ITB broke out. So these are two, yeah, Don's pointing to it right now. So these are just two examples of how that more times than not, stocks are gonna lead you to a place you wanna be and that um, taking careful consideration of and note of all the stocks that are showing RS and breaking out and then going back and looking at the sectors to see if you can identify a theme or something that's emerging. So yeah, that's a brief segment on, you know, top down versus bottom up and, and finding group strength and sector style themes. Yeah, Tidewater and Weatherford in the oil patch were uh, another good example uh, yep. of that that I pointed out er uh, earlier. Let's go over to Ted now. Ted's got nine uh, charts to show us and then a, a brief presentation on bubbles. Ted's our bubble boy. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Don. Um, so I'm going to go over just some breadth charts. Again, the routine is this first chart is S&P 500 and it's a weekly chart. I mentioned last time that we had a double inside week and we were looking to see whether it would resolve to the upside or downside post FOMC after Powell and a more restrictive Fed than what the market um, anticipated. We resolved to the downside. As you can see, we broke that upper trend line. In addition, I wanted to point out that the, both the advanced decline lines are continuing to make lower lows. On the next one is the NASDAQ, just like the S&P 500 we resolved to the downside of a double inside week and as well. And the advanced decline line is making lower lows as well. Continue on. I just wanted to note that the net lows are also confirming this weakness. You can see that we had uh, 206 net lows and that matches around that banking crisis in earlier this year in March. And this is the S&P 500 and then coupled with the New York Stock Exchange net highs and lows. Next is the NASDAQ daily chart with the NASDAQ net highs and lows. And just like this one as well, we are expanding in net lows, reaching those, May, reaching those March and April readings. Further, um, the NASI chart, we, we briefly poked above the 10-day moving average and we appeared that we're gonna cross back over that 30 oversold territory, but we ended up rejecting, crossing back low. We, we continue to make lower lows. Now we're quite extended from that 10 day moving average. So this just continued more evidence that the market is weak right now. The next two charts are the stocks, are the percentage of stocks above various moving averages. The first one is the S&P 500. And as you can see, we continue trending lower on these readings. But like I said last week, at some point, we would want to see 
the percentage of stocks above the 50-day moving average as a potential contrarian indicator. Just like how it got above uh, 80%, now we're getting below 20%. So extreme extremities usually always, not always, nothing is always, but extremities oftentimes mark turning points. The next one is the percentage of stocks for the NASDAQ above various moving averages. And the same story here, we resolve to the downside confirmed by lower lows in these readings. Onto a couple sentiment charts. Just like I, how I said, we are reaching ex more extreme levels in the percentage of stocks above the 50 day in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. The CNN fear and greed have, has returned back to the fear territory. We'd like to see us sit down here for a bit more and more people to start panicking, and then we can look for a potential reversal confirmed by price action and the trend. And finally, the AAII sentiment readings confirm that uh, more and more investors are leaning towards one, one side of the boat with 31.3% of bullish readings below the 37.5% historical average, and then 34.6% bearish readings above the 31% historical average. So that is it for breath this week. All right, Ted, thanks a bunch. And that wraps it up. Dan, you can uh, take us home. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Revere tries to be the most transparent advisor in the country, actually on the planet. And Don does a daily market insight video every day the market is open. We actually tell you short-term, mid-term, long-term, the indices, what they're doing. We talk about individual well, sectors and individual stocks. And then we talk about what we're actually doing in the portfolios. In addition, we do this podcast every Friday that goes in your inbox Saturday morning. But if you're on YouTube, just search for Revere Asset. As soon as Zach publishes this in about an hour after the show, uh, you'll get it a day early if you're really a, a stock nerd. But in any event, you can uh, email any of us with questions. Well, anyway, on the top right, there's a subscribe button. You can just have someone put their name and email address in, and we'll send this to them directly. We won't spam them or reach out to them in any way. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, um, um, it's up to them to reach out to us if they want a stock they want to talk about or just want a, a complimentary portfolio review, or if they just have a question. And, uh, uh, you can always email me, Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, or Ted, Michael, or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. We'll talk to you next week from the new digs on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.